Well, good morning, church. What a great day. The snow, at least in my house, did not fall that the weather plan promised me last night. I woke up very sad. I was looking forward to some sledding this afternoon. That apparently is not going to happen, but we made it all here, and that's great. Uh, listen, my name is Ethan Magnus. It is so good to be with you. If you're a guest here this morning, we're glad you're here. I'm one of the pastors and just glad to be a part of the service today as we continue our series. Uh, we're, we're, we're doing this thing as a church where we're reading through the whole New Testament uh, in a year. Uh, the New Testament has 260 chapters. There are 52 weeks in a year. If we read five chapters a week, we can make it through the whole New Testament uh, together in a year. If you're keeping up, and, and I'm not going to ask, but I'll warn you, in a couple weeks, I'm going to ask who is caught up. And so if you want to be able to brag in front of your friends, this is the time to get caught up. But if you're keeping up, we've made it through chapter 15 in the book of Matthew. And for this month, just to get us started, uh, we're preaching right along with the text as we preach through it. Hey, listen, before I jump into today's message, uh, I want to kind of let you know about a couple things. The first is uh, tomorrow, uh, it's Martin Luther King Day, and uh, we're part, we and a bunch of other churches are partnering with our friends down at Greater Love Church, uh, and there's a Martin Luther King kind of service rally, and then March. It's a beautiful thing. We've been doing it with them two or three years. I've gotten to be a part of it before. Uh, Nikki's speaking this year. I think they're going to let me pray or something. Um, but it's going to be awesome, and if you're, so if you're free tomorrow, uh, you should definitely jump in uh, to that. If I was better at this, I would right now be able to tell you what time it is. Uh, but I, I can't do that. But so, but it's tomorrow. It's like in the middle of the day. So, 12:30. It's at 12:30 tomorrow. There it is. Thank you, Betsy. Um, anyways, okay. So 12:30 tomorrow uh, down at Greater Love Church downtown, and uh, it's a great thing. A short service and then a short march. Just praying for our city and praying for unity. It's really cool. Uh, the other thing I get to tell you about is that Love Month signups officially start today. That's why I'm wearing my Love Month version of the For Everyone t-shirt. And uh, Love Month sign-up starts today. We've got a whole bunch of stuff all throughout the month of February. Um, so stop by in the atrium. I know there's a table there. Stop by there, see everything that's going on, sign up for three or four things, bring a friend, bring your family. Uh, Love Month's going to be great this year, and sign up start today. All right. Uh, well, we've been working through the, the Gospel of Matthew, because that's where the New Testament starts. Um, and, and what we noticed is that the first few chapters of Matthew have this kind of uh, laser focus. Every, everywhere you turn, there's this reminder about the kingship of Jesus. From the very first sentence, this is the book of Jesus, the Messiah, which means he is the anointed coming king. And then everything about it, Matthew says he's the king of blessing and the king of eternity and the king of power and the king of rescue and the king of the heavens and the king of the earth and the king of mercy. And just stacked on top of each other are all these claims to Jesus' kingship. And, and then last week, we looked about how in Matthew chapter 5, uh, a new layer to the kingship of Jesus gets added, and Matthew begins to talk about the new law. A new king brings a new law, and we talked about that last week, that the new law of the new king is no longer, desi it's no longer designed to judge us, it's no longer designed to punish us, but rather it is designed to bless us. It is, a, it is a trajectory designed to call us toward the holiness and goodness of God. 
I will say, uh, this doesn't happen every week, but I will say, uh, last week I had a lot of people and, and throughout the week via email reach out uh, and say various versions of that they really found last week's message helpful and clarifying about how the law of Christ works. And so if you missed last week's message and you want to know how the law of Christ works, it might be helpful for you too. Um, you can go to our website or Facebook or it's on, um, it's on YouTube or you can pick up a CD and maybe it'll be helpful to you. Uh, but this theme of the kingship of Jesus just continues to be present uh, throughout the Gospel of Matthew. After we get the new law, in chapters kind of 8, 9, and 10, we have this attention to the power of our king. Uh, power over uh, diseases, and power over the demons, and power over the natural world, and power over sickness, and power to heal, and to lead, and to work miracles. But then, in, in, in this week's reading, 11 through 15, on top of these themes of the, the claims of Christ's kingship and the power of Christ's kingship and the new law of King Jesus, a new theme begins to emerge, uh, starting mainly in chapter 11, and then it intensifies throughout the chapters we read together. Uh, the other themes are still present, uh, but the new theme, the new question of the king emerges, and the question is something like this. It gets asked in lots of different ways, but the question is something like this. The question is, have you given your allegiance to the king? Sometimes the question is, what will you do with the king? Now, the question on the face of it is a common kingly question. This word of allegiance comes from the, the days of kings and lords, and allegiance is a simple thing. Allegiance is a two-directional promise. When you pledge allegiance to a king or to a lord, two promises are made. You make a promise to the king, a promise to serve and honor the king. And the king makes a promise to you a promise to serve and protect you. That's the way allegiance works. The, the, you, you promise allegiance to the king, and you promise to serve and honor the king. In exchange, the king promises to, to go out when the, the battle needs fighting, to gather an army and protect the land and protect the people. Allegiance is always a two-way promise. And starting in chapter 11, this theme begins to emerge. It's more than just Jesus' invitation to follow me. Jesus begins to say in lots of different ways that what you decide about Jesus is the most important decision you'll ever make in life. If you've been around Christian circles for a long time, that may not surprise you anymore. You may be used to people hearing that. But we need to recover our shock that Jesus would claim repeatedly and in lots of different ways that what we decide about Jesus is the most important decision we ever make. More important than what we decide about morality. More important than what we decide about who to marry. More important than what we decide about our profession is what we decide about Jesus. I was, then probably 25 years ago, 
I was reading through the Bible uh, with a non-Christian friend of mine who was curious about Christianity. He wanted to know, what is it you all really believe? And so I said, well, let's read the Bible together. And, and like we're doing, we started at the beginning of the New Testament and just started reading it. And we would, we would read about 10 chapters, and then we would meet and talk about it. And then we would read about 10 more chapters and meet again. We didn't meet all that often, you know, every other week, something like that. We had gotten to the about halfway through the book of Matthew, right where we are, when we happened to be meeting over lunch in the college cafeteria, and we were talking about it, and he said to me, I, I, just was, I was so surprised by this question, but he just asked it so innocently. He just said, he said, have you ever noticed that Jesus is really self-centered? I was like, what are you talking about? We just read about how he's healing people and feeding people, and in a minute he's going to die for their sins. I mean, Jesus, you don't get less self-centered than Jesus. I mean, I, I was just, it was, and I, but, but I, you know, tried to stay cool. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, I mean, you know, you're reading it, right? He's crazy self-centered. I mean, like, I don't, he makes everything, every conversation he ever has, he makes it about him. And I had to kind of, you know, do a gut check. I was like, oh, yeah, I, I, guess, I guess I do see what you mean. He says, I mean, like, when he talks to this person, he says, follow me. This person wants to go take care of his family. He says, no, instead, follow me. He says, everything is about Jesus. I answered him something like this. I said, well, I guess there are two choices. Either you're right, Jesus is incredibly self-centered. In fact, we might call him a narcissistic lunatic. Everything's about him. Or he is, in fact, the most important person in the world, and everything is about him. I mean, you're right. I, mean, I, I hadn't thought of it that way, but, but, but you're right. I mean, those are sort of the options because he does make everything about him. At the time, I had a handy illustration. Um, we both were friends with a fellow who was uh, excited about his intramural basketball team, and we had just that day had a fun conversation about him. This became my illustration. Uh, he had a game that night. And we had seen him for breakfast, and he had said to us, oh my goodness, I have really got to take a nap today. We're playing a hard team tonight in our Emerald Basketball League, and if I don't have a good game, we are dead. And I said to him, now when he said that, was he being self-centered? And he chuckled back, he says, oh no, he's the only person on their team that can shoot. You know, he's exactly right. If he has a bad game, they're dead because he's the only person who knows how to play basketball on their team. And, and I, said, I said, I think that's the possibility you have to consider with Jesus. It, it, it might be that he's self-centered or it might be that he's the only person who can get us out of this mess. He's the only person who can save us. He's the only person who can heal us. He's the only person who can lead us. He's the only king we've got a chance of following, and something about these five chapters of Matthew, I think, force us to reckon with that question. Is Jesus phenomenally self-centered, or is he, in fact, the only person who can save us, the only person who can rescue us, the only person who can lead us, the only person worth following? This self-centeredness of Jesus, it, it starts right there in the beginning of chapter 11. 
Chapter 11, verse 2. John was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah. He sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is proclaimed to the poor. So far, it's not all about Jesus, but look how he ends it. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. All this amazing stuff is happening. But for Jesus, that is not the bottom line. The bottom line is him. Those who have followed him, those who are trusting in him, those who have not rejected in him are blessed. Two things worth noticing here. One, of course, notice the signs of the kingdom of God. Healing and love and blessing everywhere you turn. This is part of why we do Love Month. We know people can tell we are Christians by how well we love. And so we want to make sure that for this this one month, we are out there in our community. I mean, I know some of you are serving all year long, but especially this month, we want to make a big splash of love so they'll know about our Savior. And the second thing you've got to notice is that no matter how much we love, no matter how many people are healed and lame walk and deaf hear, for Jesus, the bottom line is not the miracles. The bottom line is Him. A little later in the same chapter, Matthew 11, verse 20 through 24, Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of His miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Again, odd little text. But, but the point of the text is clear. Jesus is saying your Jewishness, your, your, your religious belonging isn't going to save you. You rejected me. And to reject me is... It's, it's it. Jesus, again has this way of making every interaction conclude with a question, a a statement about his own centrality. And the implication for the people he's speaking to is that what they decide about Jesus trumps every other thing about them. It trumps all the the miracles. If you decide wrongly about Jesus, the miracles don't matter. It, It trumps their participation in the people of God. These are good Jewish cities. But he says, but you rejected me. Uh, Matthew 11, uh, verse 29, a little later in the chapter. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What is the solution that Jesus offers For those who are burdened and overwhelmed, He offers Jesus. Jesus is what Jesus offers. He says, come to Me. 
I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Every time Jesus is calling someone to their first key step on behalf of God, the first key step they must take is a step with Jesus. In chapter 12, Oh, we get our first one of the theological controversies of Matthew. This controversy is over the Sabbath. And uh, maybe you read it this week. If not, you can go back and read it. Um, they talk about lots of different things. And Jesus interrupts their interpretation of the Sabbath law with a new interpretation of the Sabbath law. And then finally, at the end of the conversation, Jesus makes plain what was implied in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, that he is the Lord, even over the law of God. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He just says it. I mean, it was implied in the Sermon on the Mount. Every time he said, you have heard it was written, but I say to you. It, 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 was, it was implied that Jesus thought he had the power and the authority to rewrite the law of God. But here he just says it. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. This is one of the Ten Commandments. And he says, I'm in charge of the Ten Commandments. Really, just the fact that he calls himself the Son of Man was bold enough. This term, the Son of Man, is from the Old Testament book of Daniel. It was used by Daniel to describe the one who would be God's holy, perfect messenger, God's righteous warrior, come to protect and defend God's people. So the very fact that, that Jesus would use the term for himself, that alone is a bold claim. But then he goes past that. He says, even the Sabbath is about me. If you want to learn how to do Sabbath, don't go read the law. Come follow me. Everywhere you look, everywhere you look, Jesus may, you know, the, the story uh, that Michael Hance just read uh, in chapter 14. Um, they're out on the storm and the, the winds are, are high and the waves break against the side of the boat. Jesus does not show up and say, don't worry, the boat will be fine. Jesus does not show up and say, don't worry, the winds will die down. Jesus just shows up and says, I am here. I'm here. It's about me. And in the center of these five chapters that always seem to point us back to the centrality of the person of Jesus, in the center we have this little parable. Matthew 13, verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. And then he told them many things in parables. He, he said a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plants. And still other seed fell on good soil, 
where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, and thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Later in conversation, his disciples came to him. They were a little confused by this parable, and they knew what to do. They asked Jesus to teach them what the parable meant. And here was his explanation. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed that was sown along the path. The seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it in joy. But since they have no root, they will only last a short time. When the trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. This parable is central to understanding this section of the book of Matthew. For what we see throughout this section is we see the various soils being embodied by the various characters we've encountered. Uh, it starts, we have to notice, that the word that is being announced, the seed that is being thrown, is not just any word. It is a word about the kingship of Jesus. And so what these different people decide about the kingship of Jesus makes a permanent and eternal difference in their lives, Jesus is saying. He's saying what you decide about the kingship of Jesus makes a permanent and eternal difference in your life. It changes everything about your future. It's so important for us to remember that this is where our faith starts. Our faith starts with a decision about the kingship of Jesus. If anything else is where our faith starts, if we, if we try to build the foundation of our faith on anything else, it will not hold. If, if we build the foundation of our faith on behavior, like you, that's the way you start Christianity, is behaving correctly and doing all the right things and obeying all the rules, it, it won't hold up. Your behavior will not sustain your faith. It's not a good foundation. If you, if you build your, your faith on culture, maybe, you know, I grew up in East Tennessee and we all kind of go to church around here, so if I want to be a good East Tennessean, I better go. No, that, that won't do. Uh, that isn't the center of our faith. That isn't what the dividing line between those who bear fruit and those who wither. If, if, if the foundation of your faith is your family, you know, my, my grandma went to church and my parents went to church and they expect me to go to church and I want to raise good kids and it'll help me raise good kids if I go to church. And so, you know, for the sake of the family, I'll, I'll do it. That, that isn't the difference. Jesus says the difference between the life of fruitfulness and the life that isn't is what you've done with the kingship of Jesus. You know, my friend was right. He, he might just be a little self-centered, this Jesus. Or, 
he's the only one who truly saves. I mean, those are sort of the two options. Either he really is the true anointed sent king, or he's just a little self-centered. The second thing you've got to learn from this, after you get your head around the fact that the, the king, what you do about the kingship of Jesus is the foundation of your faith, the second thing you've got to learn from this is that you are not dirt. Okay? See, the thing about the parable of the soils is soil doesn't get to pick what kind of soil it is. It's not, you know, soil has no power, has no agency. You either are the path or you aren't the path. You're either rocky soil or you're not. You're either thorny soil or you're not. Or you're good soil or you're not. But, but you're not dirt, okay? And some of us, what we need to do today is make a serious allegiance check. We need to make a check in our own souls about whether we have been living out our allegiance to Christ, honoring Christ as King. And for some of us, that means we need to figure out what kind of dirt we've let ourselves become. Because unlike the dirt that cannot change, you can make choices about this. Uh, some of you, you know, it says the, the, the path. What was the problem there? They lacked understanding. And so the message of the kingdom was taken away. Some of you, the, the obstacle between you and really following Christ is understanding. And so maybe you need to study and set up a meeting with somebody. Take somebody out to lunch. Do what my friend did. Meet with me. Let's read the Bible together. We did that 25 years ago. He's a believer now. It took a long time, but he was not going to give up trying to understand Jesus. And when he did, he gave Jesus his life. That's an obstacle for some of you. But you don't have to stay that kind of dirt. You could be the kind of dirt that produces. Maybe you know that your roots aren't deep enough for the trouble you're now facing. I remember I was in a season, it's been a few years back, and I, I, that had happened to me. It wasn't even that much trouble, but my roots were not deep enough. And I could just feel my faith begin to wither. And I had just this real clear, stark choice. I could either invest in deeper roots that would get me through a tough season, or I could watch my faith die. Some of you need to make that choice. Some of you need, you need to dig deeper roots, for you are in a season of trouble, a season of hardship, and your faith as it is now is not strong enough to make it through, so it's time to dig roots. You are not dirt. You are not stuck. You can decide what kind of soil you will be to the good news of the kingdom. Maybe it's worldly cares that threatens your faith right now. Maybe you are busy with the things of life, making money and finding a job and paying off a house and raising some kids or visiting your grandkids. Maybe it is the things of this world that threaten to choke out your faith. The roots are fine and it's still there. You're just so busy you could make a decision you could go back to christ and say king jesus i want to bear fruit again i want for my branches to be full i want to be rooted again in good soil i want the spiritual fruit of my life to again be abundant you could make that choice either jesus is a ridiculous narcissist 
or he's the most significant figure in all human history. Either he's a fool, or he's the king. Either what you do with Jesus doesn't matter at all, or what you do with Jesus is the most important decision you will ever make. And I believe what Matthew says, that the new king has come with a new law for our lives and a new power for our salvation, and the king asks for your allegiance. And what you do with Jesus is the most important decision you will ever make. Let's pray. Gracious God, remind us again of the centrality of your Son. Teach us again, God, that we have never outgrown the need to make a decision for Jesus. That the decision we make to give you our allegiance is not just a decision we once made in the past, but it is every day's decision. God, some of us need to be shaken up for we have become the rocky, the, the path soil. We have ceased trying to understand your word and your wisdom and so we are missing the message of the kingdom. Some of us, God, we are in a season where we are the rocky soil. We are not digging deep roots and so the trouble has come and our faith does not sustain us. Some of us, God, we have become the thorny soil. Our faith, which once flourished, is now choked out by the cares of this world. God, we thank you that we are not stuck like dirt, but that we can choose again to be made by you into the good soil of this earth and that the seed of your kingdom might be planted in us and bear much fruit. That, God, is our prayer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.